The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. But let's read the entire psalm again together, and I hope you memorized it and make it part of your life. And we'll be looking at verse 6 specifically today. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, I want to talk to you about the subject, the best is yet to be. And before we go into our verse, I want us to get down to principle or understand that Satan always gives, the devil always gives the best first and the worst last. Jesus always saves the best for last. Satan always gives best first and worst last. Jesus always saves the best for last. Have you ever noticed that? The Bible talks about it. In Proverbs 2017, he says, Bread gained by deceit is sweet to men, but afterwards his mouth will be filled with gravel. In Proverbs 5, verses 3 to 5, it says, For the lips of a immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. She's honey lips. But, look at verse 4, starts, but, in the end, she's better, uh, bitter as wormwood, sharper as a two-edged sword, her feet go down to death. It gets even worse, right? Her steps lay hold of hell. Sweet at first, mouthful of dirt later. That's what Satan does. He always starts sweet, but it doesn't end that way because he's a counterfeiter. And he gave Eve, remember Eve? He gave her some false advertisement. If we look at uh, Genesis uh, chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, it says this, For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband, with her, and he ate. Showing all those good stuff. You'll be like gods. You'll know good and evil. But what if he showed her the fall of humanity? What if he showed her her son killing her other son? How cursed the ground is, the one we walk on? He is guilty, the devil, of false advertising. And really, the whole advertising principle, even today, is based on that. You ever seen those Corona beer commercials? These young people, I don't know if they have jobs or not, but somehow they're always on the beach. You know, they got great bodies, they're playing volleyball, but they don't show you. I work for a high health. They don't show you the wreckage on the roads. From, from alcohol, the ruined lives, the ruined families. 
I worked at McDonald's for a very long time, and I've been in America for over 30 years. I never seen an overweight person doing a McDonald's commercial with some diabetes. You ever seen it? The whole advertising principle is based on, really, a lie. And Satan always paints a pretty picture. He always gives the best first and the worst last. And, you know, the Bible speaks of pleasures and sin. You know, sometimes we say, oh, there's no pleasure in sin. No, there is pleasure in sin. That's why it's so attractable. I love my Big Mac, too. But then I don't like running on a treadmill for four hours. There's pleasures in sin. And Hebrews 11.25 says, choosing rather to suffer affliction with people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. In King James Version, it says, pleasures of sin for a season. And, you know, sometimes we're trying to reach young people and we're trying to tell them that, you know, it's no, no fun in sin. You can't have any fun doing that. There's more fun in serving Jesus than, than in sin. And they look at you kind of like, what are you talking about? I'm having a blast. There's pleasures in sin, but they're for a season. Passing pleasures. But with Jesus, listen very carefully, with Jesus, it only gets better and better and better. And it's illustrated in John 2, verses 9 to 10. Remember, this is when he turned the water into wine. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, he did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. Now, asterisk here, Jesus did not remember we talked about. He made about 120 gallons of wine. You have to understand the wine in the Bible, there's 12 different definitions. It's not like he, they were drunk, they drank the good wine, they drank the bad wine, now he's giving them, it's grape juice. So, it's fermented, it's not fresh, so, not fresh, but the fresh wine is freshly squeezed grape juice. It's like somebody just took a wine and squeezed it out. He's saying, what are you doing? The best is supposed to be in the beginning. But you see, with Jesus, he has no other way. He always gives best. And it just gets better and better and better. That's the way Jesus does it. He saves the best for last. You know, I heard about a lady. She uh, was a Christian lady. And she found out she had cancer. And she began to make her final arrangements. And she met with her pastor and said, Pastor, I'd like you to bury me in this beautiful dress that I just bought, and I'd like to put, for you to put a Bible in my hands, you know, on my chest, and then I'd like to, for you to take a fork and put a fork in my right hand. The pastor said, that's an unusual request. Why would you want a fork in your hand? He said, well, I've been to your Wednesday nights, potlucks and dinners and so forth, and when people come and grab, grab my plate, they always tell me, keep the fork. And when they told me to keep the fork, I knew something good was coming. Chocolate cake, some pudding. <laughs> so I want you to put a fork in my hand, and when people pass by and say, why? Because there's something good. There's something good that's coming. And 
Living for Jesus, folks, really, it gets better and better. Gooder and gooder, is that a word? Sweeter and sweeter. And with Jesus, each day is sweeter than before. There's so much more. I love Jesus today more than I loved him the first day I came to him. It's just more sweeter. And our shepherd brings us all the way from the green pastures and the still waters here, leads us through the valley of shadow of death, and brings us into the Father's house. And that's why he says in verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's good now. He speaks of goodness and mercy but the best is yet to be. Goodness and mercy. Here's a sheep, and we're kind of using, we're the sheep. If you look over your shoulder, if you're a Christ follower, you, you will see goodness and mercy. And it says they follow me, not go ahead of me, not go behind me. They follow you. Don't we need goodness and mercy in front of us? No, we don't, because we have a shepherd that's in front. He's leading us. And David said, for you are with me. But goodness and mercy are behind. To follow means to pursue, run after. And we're talking about shepherds and sheep, right? When the shepherd was ready to move, the shepherd had sheepdogs. He had sheepdogs, and they're back there because we talked about sheep. Sometimes they're stubborn, not so smart. They often go on their own path. So he has two sheepdogs, one named Goodness, the other one named Mercy. And the sheep, two sheepdogs, they come around the flock, and they keep us in line. So God as the shepherd is leading the way, but God's goodness takes care of my steps. His mercy takes care of my stumbles. His goodness meets our needs here. His mercy forgives our faults. His goodness leads to repentance. His mercy leads to regeneration. And Charles Spurgeon used to call goodness and mercy God's footmen. I was reading a story about Harry Ironside. I don't know if you know who that is. Very old pastor back in the 40s and... Um, was a pastor, actually, of a Moody church, too. And he shared a story when a troubled woman came to him, and she said she was being always followed by two men. And whenever she left her apartment or stepped on a trolley, these two men were always there. And he said, did you call the police? She said, yeah, but they told me that these men are not there. So he realized that she was kind of imaginary figures. But, you know, some, some people have this talent, and he said, oh, I know who they are. He opened up to Psalm 23 and 6 and said, those men are goodness and mercy. David sent them. They're following you. And she was, <laughs> all her worries were gone. And that simple faith, when I read that story, isn't that just so simple? Believing that goodness and mercy of God are always present to bless us? Since our God is the good shepherd, gracious host, he's always near us. But how come we forget that? 
And each of us can probably write a book if we look back on our lives, how much goodness and mercy. You know, sometimes we're going through trouble or something, we don't understand why. But once we through that valley, we look back, we, we kind of like, that was God. He protected us. Goodness and mercy follow all of our days of our life. But praise God, the best is yet to be. And here's what David talks about, the house of the Lord. Look at Psalm 236 again. It says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As you study David's life, he loved being in the Lord's house. In Psalm 122.1, he said, I was glad when they said to me, let's go into the house of the Lord. In Psalm 27.4, says, One thing I've desired of the Lord that, is I, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now, the word house of the Lord could be translated here, presence of the Lord. I will dwell in the presence of the Lord forever. And that's what heaven is, home. I want to tell you three things about the house of the Lord that came to my heart as I pondered on this. And there's many things that we can talk about when we talk about heaven, but I just want to talk about three today. The first thing is it's a presence, present place. I want to talk about the certainty of the best yet to be, the certainty. Surely goodness and mercy should follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, verse 6. As I looked at this verse, he didn't start out with maybe, perhaps, possibly, or hopefully. He starts off with the word surely. Somebody say surely. You guys awake? All right. In other words, there's no guesswork, no questions, or insecurity. He says, sure enough, absolutely, without a doubt, don't even think about it. There's no question. Surely I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's a sure thing. And you know, one of the sweetest passages in the Bible is in John 14, first three verses. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You know, one time I heard of a pastor, he read this translation from an amplified version, and a lady stood up, she said, no, pastor. Amplified version says, um, my, my father's house, there's many dwellings. And she said, no, you got to read it from my version. I lived in beat-down houses all my life. I'm ready for a mansion. Jesus is preparing us a mansion. He's, that's what David's talking about, and Jesus is talking about the same thing David's talking about. Now, if we pause here for a second, Jesus is the truth. Jesus never told a lie. He always told the truth. And he said, if, I were, if it were not so... I would have told you. Jesus Christ is not going to let you in your heart beat, you know, there's a mansion waiting for me and there's nothing there. He, he won't do that. 
He said, if it were not so, I would have told you. But I go prepare a place for you. And I will come again and receive you. And folks, heaven is not uh, merely a state of mind or some kind of condition. It's real. It's more real than Bestville, Ohio, and so forth. It's a real place, and Jesus is there in a literal body. There's a place called heaven, and we're going to be there in a resurrected body. Heaven is a place on God's map, folks. And, you know, we speak of heaven as being up, right? And sometimes, you know, I make that mistake too, and people who doubt the Bible say, well, you're wrong because your cosmetology don't make up. If you say up here, people down in down in Australia say they're up, but really they're pony, pointing down, you know. So where, where is heaven? But Bible writers were inspired by the Holy Spirit of God when they said Jesus was taken up into heaven, and that's where our possessions lie. And Bible knows what it's talking about. And it's not by accident that people speak up, up north, down south, there's a polar star. There's that northern fixed direction. And Bible really speaks of heaven as being north. Remember uh, in, in Isaiah 14, this is Lucifer who rebelled against God. He tried to exalt the throne and, you know, place his rule where God's rule is. And listen what he said. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the Mount of Congregation on the farthest sides of the north. And when God told Moses to make a sacrifice back in the Leviticus system, in Leviticus 1.11, he said, you shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord. Northward, toward the Lord. Do you see that? Let me give you another scripture. In Psalm 75, verses 6 through 7, it says, For exaltation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. What direction did he leave out? The north. Upward north. It doesn't come from the west, south, north. Now, you can see that there's a place in the north somewhere that I believe heaven is. So I tell people, yeah, I got to mention up, it's up north. Now it's above the stars of God. Somewhere there is a place. It's a real place that exists right now, present place. Jesus is there. There's the saints. They're there. And Paul went there himself. He called it a third heaven. If you look at 2 Corinthians 12, 2, it says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, Whenever in the body, I do not know, or whenever out of the body, I do not know, God knows. Such a one was cut up to the third heaven. Very interesting. He calls it the third heaven. He says you can go there in the body, or you can go there outside the body. Jesus is there in the body. But the person was cut up in the third heaven. And the Bible really does mention three heavens. The first heaven is the atmosphere, you know, the, 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 the birds of the air, the, the, what we see here. If you look at uh, uh, Genesis 7.23, it says, He destroyed all the living things that were facing the ground, both man and cattle, 
creeping thing and bird of the air, so destroyed from the earth. So this is the Noah's flood. So that's, that's the air. And then there's the Bible also talks about the, the stars, the moon. That's called the hosts of heaven. And uh, in Genesis 2.1, when we talk about creation, he says, thus the heavens and earth and all the hosts of them were finished. But above the stars of God, there's a place called heaven. And somebody said it beautifully, and it said, first heaven we see by day, second heaven we see by night, the third heaven we see by faith. And he says, listen, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Paul knew there was a real place, heaven. David knew there's a place, heaven. And when a Christian dies, he steps right into heaven. When the days of his life came to an end, and when all the days of my life, and sooner or later when the days of your life are going to end, and if you're with God, and we don't know when that's going to be, you're going to step into heaven. Listen to what the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5, 6. It says, so we are always confident knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. So while we're at home in the body here, right now I live in a body. This body is not me. At least that's what I tell the doctor. I'm just at home. I'm at home in the body, but I'm absent from the Lord. But then he goes on to say in verse 8 of Corinthians, we are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from this body and to be present with the Lord. Paul is basically saying, if I had my choice, I would have cut out and go be with God. But I'm confident at the same time when I'm going to die, I'm going to be with Jesus. In the book of Acts in chapter 7, there's a story about a death. One of the greatest men who ever lived, his name was Stephen, and he was stoned for his faith. And in verse 56, he says this and said, Look, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man is standing at the right hand of God. And when he saw that, in verse 59, he prayed and said, he was calling on God saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Jesus told the dying thief on the cross in Luke 23, 43, Jesus said to him, surely I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Listen, folks, heaven is a real place. It's a present place place that exists right now. And let me tell you something else about heaven. Not that it's only real and present right now. It's a perfect place. Revelation 21.4 says, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. No more sin, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more death, no more disease, no more dying, no more doubts, no more pain. Nothing. They're passed away. Now, sometimes people ask me this question, and I don't know if you guys get these kind of questions that really want to know what heaven is going to be like. Are we going to have beds, you know? Are we going to be sleeping in beds? Am I going to brush my hair, teeth or comb my hair? What will we eat? 
If heaven is for eternity, how old will we be? Ever teach a Sunday school class? So you know how I ask for volunteers, prepare for these type of questions. What will we do? All these kind of questions. And here's the answer to all those kind of questions. You can write it down so you don't forget about it. I don't know. I don't know. And don't pretend like you do. Nobody knows. There's, there's you know, the Bible, when Jesus walked on this earth, he talked about more about hell than he did about heaven. There's some things that we know. But in 1 John, uh, we know about heaven, but in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, he says this, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. It's not revealed yet. But what we do know is this. Heaven is going to be a place where the presence of all that is good and the absence of all that is evil. You know, one pastor said it best. He said when people ask him what appeals to him about heaven, he said it's not the streets of gold, it's not the pearly gates, it's the absence of sin. I'm tired of sin. And I, that's such a perfect answer. Because all those sorrows, all those pain, all your backaches, it's because of sin. And heaven is going to be a place that all that the loving heart of God can conceive and omnipotent hand of God can prepare. This is the God of the universe. He just creates, spoke, boom, there's earth. He is preparing a place for us. He's setting a table for us. That's what heaven is going to be. It's a present place. It's going to be a perfect place. And folks, it's going to be a purposeful place. Now, don't get the idea when you go to heaven, you're going to get some kind of wobbly robe and, you know, a rusty hailer, and you're going to sit around on the fluffy cloud uh, playing the harp all day. That's not what you're going to be doing. That's not what heaven is. Don't get an idea from the, that's not an idea from the Word of God. We will serve Him. That's what we're going to be doing. Look at Revelation 7.15. It says, Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne dwell among them. His servants shall serve him. You go down Revelations 22.3 and says, and there, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And all of us like to serve God better than we do today, right? And sometimes I preach, I say, well, I wish I could have done a little bit better. Sometimes I pray, I wish I had, had more power in my prayers. I suppose every person that sung a solo or something like that always said, I wish I could sing a little bit better. But we have this old sin flesh that holds us down. But when we get to heaven, you're going to be able to serve him like you've never served him before. So if those of you not serving in church, you guys need to get practice because you're in for a treat. Start serving the Lord God. We will sing praises to him. And, you know, I was reading in Revelations 5.11, talks about a choir in heaven. You know, I told you about the church out in California, and I don't know, maybe now they have like 20 different choirs now. 
in this church is your church. And sometimes we're like, wow, that's a big church. But talk about the choir in heaven. It says in 5.11, Then I looked. I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and living creatures and the elders and the number of them with 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. 100 million voices singing, all of them in perfect harmony, praising our great God. The reality of the heaven It's a present place, it's a perfect place, and there's a purpose, purposeful place. Not only that, I want to talk about the company of the best yet to be. We know the certainty. Surely goodness and mercy, again, verse 6, shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, when he means the house of the Lord, he doesn't mean a building of God. There's a building of God eternal in heaven, but that's not what he's talking about. He means the household of God. And what did Jesus say when he's, why is he leaving? In my father's house, there's how many mansions? Many mansions. That's what he's saying. We'll be all of us together. They're all the saints of all the ages are going to be there together. All of our brothers and sisters in Christ, all those households of faith, that's going to be the company of heaven. What a grand company it's going to be. Eve will be there. We'll all be looking at Eve, right? Are you really that hungry? I wonder if she got some special angels protecting her mansion. We will know our loved ones in heaven. And really, it's the only place you will truly, really know them. Do you remember the story of David who had a little son, and because of his sin, the infant had to die. And David fasted and prayed and cried and wept and asked God to spare the life of his child while he was sick. And then the child died, and David got up, washed his face, and anointed his body and took food, and people thought that he was crazy because he was acting normal. But look in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 21 to 23, says this, Then his servant said to him, What is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who can tell whenever the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But watch this. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back? Look at this word. I shall go to him but he shall not return to me. Do you have a mom and dad in heaven? We're going to see them. We're going to see them over there. And folks, you know, I study about the shepherd psalm. I read about a lot of shepherd things. And I read a story about a shepherd who tried to take his flock across turbulent waters. And, you know, remember I said sheep don't like Waters, they would like the still ones. So he didn't know how to get them across. So the shepherd took a baby lamb, and he waded across the stream and set the baby over there. Then all of a sudden, you see mama sheep over there. Why are you walking and pacing, walking and pacing? And all of a sudden, she went to be with her lamb. And then the papa sheep... Standing there, <laughs> following the mama sheep and the rest of the flock. 
And I think sometimes we don't understand all the mysteries of God, but sometimes I think God does that. So David says, I shall go to him. We don't understand all the things. On the other side of those chilly waters of death is a place, and it's been prepared where we can go and meet our loved ones. And we will know them. Remember the, uh, the story about the Mount Transfiguration where Elijah and Moses appeared with the Lord Jesus Christ? And the disciples were there. But here's the thing. The disciples never seen them before. They never seen Moses. They never seen Elijah. But for some reason, they didn't have to be introduced. Look at Luke 9, verses 29 to 30. says, As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him. Two men are starting to talk with Jesus. Who were Moses and Elijah? They don't have to be introduced. We'll keep our personalities. We're not going to be absorbed into nothingness. Heaven is a place, a real place, and real people are going to be there. We'll be there with our loved ones. Folks, Moses is going to be there. Wouldn't be, you know, sometimes I think, you know, I don't know how heaven's going to be like, but talking to Moses, like he couldn't pull over and ask for directions 40 years, really. David is going to be there. David, Psalm 23 was really a song. Can you sing it to us in its original context? I'm sure he'll say, hey, I heard you preach Psalm 23. You never squeezed everything out of it, but Apostle Paul would be there. How would you like to sit down and talk to Paul? about his journeys and missionaries and things like that. John, the aged apostle who wrote Revelation, is going to be there. Simon Peter will be there. I wonder if he's still going to have a loud mouth. We're going to be there with the saints of all the ages. Do you realize that? But that's not all. There's more. Those things will be there, but that's not what's really going to make Heaven, heaven. You know, years ago, I used to travel. I mentioned with you for, for, a biz, for, for work, you know, travel to Florida and stay at hotels and things like that. And, the, you know, the managers, they try to make it, all the hotels try to make it as convenient as possible, make it as homey as possible, but it still never feels like home, right? Home is where family is. You take the people away. doesn't matter how nice the furniture you have. It's not home. Sad and empty. But the joy of heaven is not in the mansions, the streets of gold, or the company. Jesus is the joy of heaven. It will be home because he is there. The most glorious company of it all would be Jesus Christ. That's the prophet Isaiah, but that's what he meant when he said, we're really going to see him for as he is. It will be revealed to us in Isaiah 33, 17. He says, your eyes will see the king and his beauty. You're going to see him as he is. And go back to Psalm 27, 4, which we read earlier. Really, if you think about it, it does sound like verse 6 in Psalm 23. One thing I desired of the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, right? And then he says, to behold the beauty of the Lord. And that's what Jesus prayed in John 17, 24. All his glory, all his beauty is going to be there. It says in 17, 24 of John, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. Why? 
that they may behold my glory which you have given me. What a time it's going to be. Think of the company. It's a reality place. Place of certainty. The company of best yet to be. And the last thing I want to talk about is the constancy of the best yet to be. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord for how long? Forever. You know, sheep, they're nomadic animals, which means they always wander around. That's why we're kind of compared to the sheep, because people always wander around. And if you're not wandering around, you're being led by the shepherd. Besides the still waters, the green pastures, through the valley of, of shadow of death, sheep don't settle down. Because this world is not our home. And we need to understand that God does not intend for us to settle down down here because we're just passing through. Remember uh, Abraham, he obeyed God, and God said, get up and go, and he just went, not knowing where we're left. Look in Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he called to go out of the place which he would receive as inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. As in a foreign country. Dwelling in tents, basically living camping, with Isaac and Jacob, their heirs of him who same promise. Why? He waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise in a foreign country. He waited whose builder and maker is God for a city. We're just pilgrims. It's going to be a place of constancy, constant joy, constant service, constant praise. For how long? Forever. And I want to tell you, folks, eternity is a long time. Eternity is a long time when you die. You're not going to have an opportunity then to get saved. Can you say today, the Lord is my shepherd? Surely I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can you surely say, and are you sure that if you died right now, you'd go to heaven? You know, we're not pedigree sheep. We're not much, we're not worth much. But we do have a wonderful shepherd. And if you can say that, all the wonderful promises in the psalm that we talked about for the last six weeks are yours. If he's the shepherd, you gave, he's the shepherd gave his life for the sheep, and if he's your savior, this psalm is for you. And folks, really, we need to stop looking and trying to grasp all these material things on here on this earth and start looking for eternal things. We need to start investing in other things that are going to heaven. What things are going to heaven? The souls of men. That's it. That's the only thing you're going to take. In 2 Corinthians, the Bible says in verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 18, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary. They're temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. You need to start looking at these eternal things. They have eternity 
attached to them. Make them priority of your life. Why? Because 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 16, 17 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of our archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the death in, dead in Christ will arise. Those who are alive and remain shall be caught up and together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Chief shepherd is coming back for his sheep. I like to think he's taking so long because he's working on my mansion personally. But in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, it says, When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive crown of glory that does not fade away. And he will transport us into the Lord's house. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God that's not made with hands, eternal in heavens. How wonderful it is to be one of his sheep. Why would anyone not want to be part of his flock? Why would you choose to wander aimlessly through life, unprotected, unguided, uncared for? And why would anyone refuse to choose him? How wonderful the privilege of living with him forever. And it gets better and better. I'm reminded of a story I read about Albert Einstein. Einstein was traveling on a train, and when the conductor came down the aisle, he was punching tickets, came to Einstein and asked for his ticket. He reached in his pocket. It wasn't there. He went in his briefcase. It wasn't there. He lived in pants pockets. It wasn't there. So the conductor said, Mr. Einstein, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. We all know who you are. I'm sure you bought a ticket. Don't worry about it. Einstein appreciated. The conductor continued down the aisle punching tickets. And just about when he was about to enter the next cart, he turns around. Dr. Einstein is on the floor looking for his ticket. The conductor runs back and says, Dr. Einstein, I told you, you don't have to worry about it. You don't need a ticket. I'm sure you bought one. We all know who you are. Einstein looked at him and said, young man, I know who I am too. What I don't know is where I'm going. Where are you going, my friend? Do you know where you're going? Isaiah 53, 6 says this, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of us have gone astray. And that's why Jesus came. If you look at Matthew 9, 36, says, But when he saw multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Why? Why, was, why did he move with compassion looking at us? Because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. My friend, are you lost and scattered without a shepherd? When you follow the shepherd, my friend, the shepherd will provide you directions, safe passage through the valley of the shadow of death, and he leads, he directs. And the great shepherd says this in John 10, verses 27, 28. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And friend, I hope you understand that until you say, the Lord is my shepherd, only then you can say, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
And let me say this before we end. The sufficiency of Christ in the life of believers, that's astounding, is a matter of great comfort, encouragement. Whenever a person has Christ in his life, he has everything he needs because Christ is everything. Christ is able to meet every need. He's the alpha and omega creator, sustainer, infinite God who can meet whatever needs we may have. And that's the central theme of this psalm, which is a source of grace to every believer. Christ is our peace. He's our protection for every situation, guards us, guides us. What a blessing it is for every believer pictured here as a weak sheep, weary traveler to know that Christ, the good shepherd, the gracious host, is sufficient to meet every need. And if you're born again, I want to tell you, we are living our worst life now. This is bad as it's going to get. It's only going to get better with Jesus. The best is yet to be. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we declare your dependence on you for your spiritual and physical needs, and you are the Lord and shepherd also provided all that pertains to our life and godliness. For this, we bless your name, Father. We worship you. We know that when death's dark shadow covers us, we have nothing to fear because you are with us. Lord, like a host, you provide above and beyond all that we could ask for, and our cup overflows. It runs over. And Father, I pray that you continue to saturate our life with your goodness, your mercy, love, and teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And Father, we also pray pray for this country of ours. In a couple of days, there's going to be an election coming up. Father, we pray for that, that your will would be done. And that's what we all need to understand, Father. Sometimes we get in arguments with different party lines, but Father, you, you are in control. Sometimes... We try to bend your will into our will. But we need to pray, Father, that your will will be done. And let us not forget the Psalm 2 that we studied when you said, yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. He's the true king. And then you also said, blessed are all those who put their trust in him. And Father, I pray as we leave this place today that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit Be with us all. In Jesus' wonderful name I pray. Amen.